<laughs> it was so... <laughs> it's okay. Somebody, somebody's recording us, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was such an anticipation. The, the, the subject, the title for this four-day conference is Life, Trusting in God. And, you know, in these days, to talk of God is to invite cynicism. Unbelievers will tell you that nobody believes in God these days. They will say that, that there's no absolute truth. They'll say, you must find a way that pleases you and follow that way. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's a personal choice. And so goes the wisdom of the world, a wisdom of foolishness and despair, no certainty, no true hope. Against that background, the subject chosen for this week is life trusting in God. We who are convinced of the truth of scripture have discovered that only in Christ can we truly know God. In John 17, verse 3, we read, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Our faith is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we can know God. Faith is a key word in the New Testament. It occurs frequently. However, when we read of faith in anything or anyone, it is almost always faith in Jesus on which we rely. So life trusting on God must be life trusting in Jesus. So in our studies together, we shall consider our life trusting on God through Jesus. Jesus will be our focus. On the mountain of transfiguration, the voice from the crowd, from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that is what I hope we should be doing this week. Listening to him. Now in preparing these studies on life trusting on God, I was frequently drawn to the letter to the Colossians as a framework for my thoughts. And so today we are considering the beginning of life trusting on God. We are looking at our salvation, salvation for us from sin in Christ. So let's turn to the letter of, to the Colossians. And we're going to read from chapter one, verses one to eight and 15 to 23. I will read it for you because uh, it'll take a while to find the pages. So chapter one and verses one to eight, and this is what we read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. 
In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is the faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now we move on to verse 15, where we read this. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Those words from Paul and Timothy, note they, were, they wrote it together. They had an address. They were addressed to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Could it have been written to us? Are we God's holy people wherever we are from? Are we recognizable? Would the post find us by that address? God's holy people. Are we the faithful in Christ? Would the post be correctly delivered to us with that address? As an aside, we live in a, a, a lovely part of the country here in Devon, in a, a little lane that's full of potholes and we have a postman. He comes every morning in his little red van and if we've got letters to post, we only have to put them in the window and as he drives past, he sees the letters in the window and he knows not to deliver into the letterbox, but instead to tap on the window. And then we give him the letters to take and he gives us the letters that have come. But the thing about it was the other day, he just realized that with all our letters being Christian sort of letters from people begging for money and so on, he, he, he realized that we, we sort of were Christians of a, of a sort. And so he knocked on the window and I was in the middle of praying and I got up, went to the window, opened the window. He said, sorry if I'm disturbing your praying. I said, that's all right, we'll say one for you. But I just thought of that when I read this about the letter being delivered, would it be delivered? Would, would the, the postman recognize the people to whom the letter was addressed? I wonder if this letter could have been about us. Are we God's holy people, wherever we're from? Are we recognizable? Are we the faithful in Christ? How do you think they got that address? 
God's holy people in Colossae. Verse 4 tells us that it was through faith in Jesus. Verse 5 tells us it was through the gospel, the word of truth. And that brings us back to Colossians 1 and verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. But what's it all about? It's about salvation. Salvation means being saved. Now, we know that we only need to be saved when something has gone wrong. When a house catches fire or a ship begins to sink or a disease infects our bodies. But in the spiritual realm, if we need to be saved, what went wrong? How serious is the situation? Has a remedy been found? How was it provided? How do we receive such a remedy? A theologian who gives a very clear evangelical interpretation of scripture was Dr. Jim Packer, who sadly passed away about a year ago now. And here's the author of a book called Knowing God. And in it, he describes the problem of humanity in one word, sin. He defines sin as rebellion against God, defiance of God, retreat from God, and guilt before God the creator. He concludes, sin is the basic evil from which we need deliverance and from which Christ died to save us. Sin is the most desperate disease known to mankind. This disease is always fatal, if not treated. <clears throat> Ezekiel reminds us that the soul that sins shall surely die. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Sin is so vile, so contrary to God's perfect will, so totally destructive of God's perfect creation that it evokes God's wrath. That is God's holy and justifiable anger against all unrighteousness. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he did so bearing the sin of the world. He also bore the wrath of God against that sin. In his death, Jesus received the wages of sin in our place. At Calvary, God's wrath and mercy met. Love and justice joined hands and salvation was effected. In that one act of obedience, Jesus reconciled us to God through his blood shed on the cross. That's what we read in verse 20. So now we, we can see that salvation means rescue. In Christ, we have been brought out of danger into safety. We have been saved from a situation leading only to death and restored to a place of life. I confess that before I was saved and for some time after I was saved, I did not realize how spiritually dead I had been. I knew that I did not believe in God, but I had no idea how dangerous a place that was. I did not realize how unlovely I was how undeserving of God's grace and mercy. I didn't realize that, but for God's grace, I would still be an object of wrath. Reading Ephesians chapter two soon corrected me, and I realized that I had been brought back 
from a living death to a new life in Christ. <clears throat> now I look back to my salvation and I see how much I needed a savior to rescue me. I was separated from God by a huge wall of unbelief. There was a barrier in my heart and mind that prevented me from being at peace with God. I was very aware of this as a teenager. It was like it must have been after the war in East Berlin before 1989. In order to divide the country into East and West Germany, they built a wall, the huge wall. And there was only one way through it. There was a place called Checkpoint Charlie. And if you had the right paperwork, perhaps you would be allowed through. But if you tried, you could lose your life. If you were born on the wrong side of the wall, you were unable to pass over to the other side. Only death awaited all but a few who attempted such a crossing. Verse 21 that we read earlier reminds me, once alienated from God behind the wall of hostility, an enemy in my mind, full of doubts about God, evil in behavior, pleasing myself, Verse 13 so well describes those who, like me, were born on the wrong side of the wall, in the dominion of darkness. But salvation was at hand. He, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But he did not break down the wall at Checkpoint Charlie. He did it at Calvary. At that time, Jesus cried out, it is finished and the wall came down and when in faith i applied the blood of christ to my life the wall was broken down for me and i was free now if that is a picture of how much i needed a savior how great a savior was needed to rescue me this son whom he loves is described for us in verses 15 to 23 that we read earlier Let's pick out the most important points. Verse 15, the image of the invisible God. Seen through the lens of God's love, Jesus is made visible. Jesus is God with an audible voice. God who could be seen and touched and handled as John described him in his first letter. Verse 16 tells us he was the creator of all things and for whom they exist created by him and for him. Verse 17, the one in whom all things hold together. My life wasn't very together because I had these constant doubts about God. I didn't know which way to turn. And it was only by the grace of God and the testimony of a preacher that I came to see that Jesus had died for me. Verse 18, it says that he is the head of the church. And that means he's my head, he's your head. He belongs to all of us and we belong to him. Then we read he is the firstborn from the dead who brings resurrection and is super, supreme in everything. And in verse 19, the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And finally, in verse 20, 
the one through whom God reconciled to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the Jesus who rescued me, forgiving my sins in order to present me wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And now we're told he has recognized us all in Christ Jesus. Such was the scale of my sin that it took the very Son of God to rescue me. What about me? What about you? What is my response to this amazing grace? Is there anything I have to do to avail myself of such a great salvation? I have simply to continue in my faith in Jesus. I cannot add to my salvation. There is nothing more for me to do to win my salvation. Christ has done it all. I must believe that fact now as I believed it the day I first heard of it. I must believe it tomorrow and the next day and forever. I must not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It is by grace that I have been saved, saved through faith. It is in that faith that we must continue to live as we shall see over the next few days together. The way to salvation is in Jesus. Jesus is my salvation. Shall we pray? Father God, it is with full hearts that we turn to you and thank you for your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus, who gave us grace and saved us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Amen.